I am very excited and delighted to tell you that your chronic illness ally is once again enrolling. If you're new around here, your chronic illness ally is the supportive home, the program, the community and the coaching space for you to learn how to reframe the role that your chronic illness plays in your life. It guides you off of that conveyor belt of constantly trying to fix and heal your chronic illness and teaches you how to tap into the wisdom of your body that's being communicated via your chronic illness so that you can channel it, channel that wisdom, channel that intelligence into living the big, beautiful life you dream about. If you enjoy this podcast, you will certainly love your chronic illness ally. There is a link to it in the show notes, but let me tell you, the funnest way to learn more about it is to do my quiz. And once you've done that, pop your email in at the end to learn more. And then sit back as I help you explore your unique support style, which will help you make an informed choice about whether your chronic illness ally is a hell yes fit for you. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Reframing Chronic Illness podcast, the place to listen to and think about the bigger picture of living with a chronic illness. Moving away from the fix, reject, resist narrative, you'll find conversations about how your chronic illness can be a force for good in your life, your superpower even, and discussions about its potential to guide you towards a more aligned way of living and healing. I'm Alana Holloway chronic illness coach and today's conversation with Catherine Ho presents a different way to look at depression, low mood and by extension chronic illness and I'm so looking forward to sharing it with you. I'm just going to speak from my experience which Mm -hmm. is which is a depressive episodes but or feeling a, a low mood basically feeling a low mood or experiencing whatever I experience is not an absence of of anything. Um, mm-hmm. it's not a deficiency it's not something that I am lacking it is how I am in this particular period of my life given a combination of my circumstances and how I um, how my brain is you know wired slightly and also just my upbringing it's a combination of all of those things mm-hmm. and that's just how it is in mm-hmm. a way not to mean that it's a I'm passive about it it's it's more that I recognize 
okay, well, how do I want to respond to that? Catherine is a life coach who works with creative businessy folks who are tired of trying to control their self-doubt and looking for a better way to live life on their terms. She helps overthinkers, self-critics and deeply thoughtful humans to let go of self-judgment without bypassing their feelings or current reality. I met Catherine in a group coaching program and was really drawn to how comfortable she seemed with sitting in discomfort. I watched as she took the space and time she needed and something I still struggle with even though I've been working on it for what feels like forever. She didn't feel compelled to fill space with words. It therefore came as no surprise when she told me she is all about sitting in discomfort and that there's no need for positive thinking when you're around her. I mean, how refreshing is that? If you feel connected to what you hear on this podcast and kind of sit there nodding your head and thinking, you know, that's me or that really resonates with me and you want to explore how you can embrace your chronic illness as your supportive, grounding and aligning superpower, head over to my website, alanaholloway.com and check out the ways in which we can work together. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alana. Thank you so much for coming on to the Reframing Chronic Illness podcast. Um, I'm, I'm delighted to have you on here and I can't wait to get stuck into some of the stuff that we've been talking about um, so far. Yeah, I'm excited to go down a few tangents. <laughs> yes, I feel there will be many. <laughs> um, so something I just said to you before we started recording was that uh, these episodes seem to go in quite deep quite quickly. Um, and this one, I don't feel is going to be any different. Um, so as I mentioned in the intro just now, um, one of the reasons we connected was because I really admired your kind of ability and weirdly comfort with sitting in what can often be perceived as uncomfortable spaces. And you wrote this beautiful email about something you're experiencing right now and how a lot of that is uncomfortable, but how you're kind of willing to lean into that. And um, I would just love to love to hear more about that. Oh, okay. No, um, thank you. And what's really what's really coming to my mind is that I've I feel like I've written quite a lot of emails and posts about that. Yes. So like which email is Alana referring to? <laughs> I feel like it could be one of many, but you know, I'm sure that we'll cover it'll all it'll come together. Um. So yeah, thank you. Uh, I. I love sitting in discomfort, isn't there? Like there's so much of that um, to kind of sift through <laughs> just yeah. in general. Um, and yeah, that's my specialty um, or so it feels. So yeah, I've, um, I was wondering, I, people are going to notice that I don't think in a linear fashion, I tend to pull things from many different routes and it kind of, I trust it'll all come together. So hopefully you'll be able to follow me and understand where I'm going with this. Yeah. But I'm, I wonder if we could like start talking a little bit about depression. I know that, that, mm. that let's go deep, like really quickly, right? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And you know, that was something that you wrote about and 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually getting into that because even talking about depression feels like an uncomfortable subject for so many. So yeah, let's go there. Okay, perfect. So I, a little bit of background, I think I've had about 14 years, 15 years experience with depression. My first major depressive episode was when I was at uni. Um, and that was uh, fairly significant in my life. I had to leave and come back and all that kind of stuff. So it was made quite an impact on me. And then since then, I've never had uh, such a deep depression or such a long depression, but I definitely have experienced depressive episodes. And I'm currently, I would say, I don't know where I am in the, you know, where I am in the process of it, but I have been experiencing a depressive episode. And what's always really interesting is I get really in- in- interested in the subject <laughs> when, mm. when I do. And I always find that I learn a lot um, in the process. So, you know, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people now would no, you know, no one wishes it upon themselves or anyone mm-hmm. else, but they also, you know, there is a certain amount of value um, in experiencing it. And what I've been really interested in is that um, the idea of is depression what we sometimes call is it? How is it treated and how is it seen in our kind of cultural worldview, yeah. which I think is really interesting. And um, I think. I feel like words like healing and illness um, are very, they, they have so, they carry so much meaning. Yeah. Very loaded. Yeah. For, for people. And what I have found really helpful is um, reading about depression as a, as a, as a biological and adaptive response to Mm -hmm. our environment so there's a book called the depths by jonathan rottenberg and he um he posits this theory that it's a kind of um basically moods have well purposes essentially in terms of our you know in terms of our behavior so in with depression in particular it's often it when we experience a loss so that Mm -hmm. could be say a loss of resources or a loss of a loved one or something that basically makes us pause and and take you know that actually that kind of low mood is is almost like an emotional like cocoon where we are almost kind of forced if we don't take heed we're almost kind of forced to just stop and have Mm -hmm. to reassess and be like huh what's happening here um and what's interesting is that I mean it makes complete sense right because yes total sense protection because yeah it's protection it's like huh something has happened something major that has affected me it's probably not wise just to just keep charging on through (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah what I've been doing guns are blazing it's probably wise for me to actually you know um make sense of this and what's really interesting is that um there's this you know the idea that the more complex a problem is or the more and plus the more serious loss is it's like well how do we move through that the sorry the question becomes how do we what what happens if we are faced with such complex problems or such a kind of a combination of problems potentially that Mm -hmm. actually feel quite unsolvable then the low mood becomes this adaptive response that actually can be that's when I suppose the cost of that low mood becomes quite amplified. Yeah. 
yeah um, that um unsolvable that oh that really hit because when we're faced with you know I think so many people our culture our society sees something such as depression or illness as a problem to be solved mm -hmm. and in that we we kind of have this inability to be able to sit and learn and listen and not rush through kind of okay how can I just get this out of my life so I can continue you know as you say charging on and but I think as, as you know what I'm thinking about at the moment is that society isn't built to allow us to take that time and how do we for me personally I find myself kind of almost going under the you know I'm imagining like a, a room full of jewels with all the laser laser beam alarms type thing and I kind of you know have to weave my way in and out up and down through them to kind of make my way through through life mm. without being like detected by these societal cultural um expectations or um uh I can't think of the other word but yeah expectations mm. now that's really interesting I'm wondering how successful do you feel that is in terms of having to duck underneath yeah I do I really do and it, that sounds quite a weird thing to say actually because it it feels you know outlaw-ish it feels you know like I kind of live on the edge of of society and I don't I'm very immersed in society and in culture um but I kind of go my own way mm. you know and that creative thinking I think allows me to find ways to get there that help me mm. and that allow me to take my time with you know with my illness but with um in whatever kind of phase it's in take my time and sit and and uh, you know give me that space to learn and listen without having to keep up I think mm. yeah it sounds like sort of a related topic that I'm really interested in at the moment is this mm -hmm. idea of personal significance mm. um, and the way that we make meaning and it sounds like you're have been you know you're looking at um the cultural worldview and saying, huh, that's not really very suitable for a lot of people or healthy yeah. for a lot of people. And it's like, this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to go. Um, and when you were talking about the kind of idea of ducking and almost swerving right. certain, certain narratives, that made me really think about one of my own narratives about swerving cultural, okay. cultural views. Um, and it's this idea of belonging. Mm -hmm. um and it sounds really abstract so please bear with me <laughs> but I'm someone who's always from as young as I can remember has kind of had this story of not belonging right um and it's I suppose in when you look for it it's very easy to see in our um when you you know in your upbringing oh okay like I moved around a lot as a kid for example. So I, I didn't ever particularly feel settled in, in one area. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'm half Chinese, so I feel like I got one foot in one culture 
and one right. foot in the other. Um, and this idea of belo- not belonging, it feels, you know, it has felt incredibly lonely, mm-hmm. but it has also, in this weird way, given me this feeling of being special, mm. this particular feeling of significance. And it's, it, you know, it sounds like such a, an awful thing to admit. I think I'm so special because I don't belong. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, it's like, you know what? It's true. Like, uh, you know, there's, a, yeah. there's a definitely, there's a, when I, when I say it's true, I mean that it feels like there's a resonance there that yeah. I am very much learning that it doesn't have to be my whole entire story, but very much also like I don't have to reject that part about myself because I have enjoyed that story for quite a long time. Yeah. And it has kept me feeling safe in, you know, in many different um, contexts. So um, what's interesting, I suppose, is that uh, the books I've been reading both about depression, but also something called terror management theory, wow. um, which is this idea, this theory that um, it's basically about managing our anxiety around our own death. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is the, the theory being that we are the only um, creatures that are conscious of our own death. So right. we're all hardwired to survive. We're all hardwired to live. But we are the only creatures that are conscious of the fact that ultimately we are not going to, you know, we are going to die. We're going to fail in in that particular endeavor. And it's like, how do we manage that? Like, that's pretty like a colossal kind of. It (laughs) is. Yeah. When you think about it, it is. And I'm thinking about my nephew and, and that absence of the knowledge and the way he lives, he lives. Um, the way he is he's he's just over two and his fearlessness mm-hmm. because he doesn't have this idea <laughs> a that he's growing up you know but b that it's it's not infinite you know yeah yeah totally and it's apparently it's like really interesting to watch children as they become aware of death <gasps> yeah and they become aware of this is what happened and it's like and then you they slowly gain recognition that this is what will happen to them potentially at some point and um I have not seen this this myself but the idea being that children will often put a distance it might be like well this is what happens to other people or to old people or to or you know maybe to animals or you know other things and not to me and I'm going to be very I'm going to be you know live forever kind of thing and we but what's interesting is that it's like well how do we as adults we don't we don't think that so Mm -hmm. what what do we do instead so um the theory being that we almost want to it's we want to like be basically live beyond ourselves through both culture and personal significance okay so what we do is that we create these cultural values, these cultural meanings, these wider stories that are almost like the greater good, the greater, the bigger picture, essentially. And then we put a lot of effort into managing how we contribute to that cultural oh, worldview. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like an immortality in the sense of who you touch and the stories that, and, and the meaning that you make and then connect with other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. And going back to that, being special and and feeling that that connects somewhere for me that kind of idea that because the feeling different really resonates with me 
but I connect that a lot to purpose and mm -hmm. I connect that a lot to kind of my why I'm here right and and then that connects I suppose to this bigger picture this this idea of there's a greater good as you say and as you were talking I was also thinking about how I think we've seen it a lot um you know in in times of COVID especially as we're now coming into this phase of it um for so many people COVID was happening to other people it wasn't mm -hmm. happening to them or their families or um even many people in their circles and and this again relates to I suppose illness and age and as you grow older more people you know become ill you know more relatives die as as things go on and and that does shift you mm. you know you do uh, you feel a shift of oh my goodness this my time on this earth is is limited and it gives you that sense of of you know you only live once or you know making days count or making sure and I suppose we've seen this in people you know in, in this big resignation or whatever they're calling it with so many people yeah, leaving totally. their jobs yeah yeah it's interesting there's another book I, I read a lot of books um but <laughs> there's a book called Transitions by William Bridges it's quite a famous um book and he um references quite a lot of transitions through life stages mm -hmm. and apparently there's a a stage kind of when you're going from your 20s into your 30s and I think it probably does relate to that sense of mortality but it's it's mm. observed that people are a lot more interested in settling into a community and that kind of sense of significance and purpose and contributing oh yeah and this community I was thinking when you were talking about um feeling um going back again to, to feeling uh different is how the online world has allowed us to, to connect with other people who feel different mm. um, and and then build that sense of community. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it's, um, what's the word? Uh, it's something that is, yeah, like I, I, that's what I was going to look it back to. The idea that um, one of the, proposed ways that we can not ward off depression that's not what I mean at all but that idea of a, a sense of purpose mm -hmm. I suppose is something mm -hmm. that really bolsters you know that um, sense of contribution community that sense of connection I was just in terms of like what do we actually I guess I'm particularly interested in at the moment in terms of right so how do I feel that way um how do I how do I get this sense of purpose and this sense right. of community particularly if you're if, particularly if you're somebody who's gone through your life thinking but I don't belong um right and and as you say it's like well there are all these different communities online that allow us to kind of explore that um but it's also something it's something I still haven't quite got my head figured figured out because when when you're when you're particularly depressed you feel very disconnected mm -hmm. and if you're someone like me whose depression tends to be very existential okay. and, and by that I mean you zoom out so far from the ground that essentially you zoom out so far it's almost like cultural meaning has been removed okay 
And it was like, well, what, what do you have left when, when all that is gone? You basically have this empty universe. This is like basically kind of absurd and it doesn't have any meaning. And then it's like, what's the point? You, like, right. That, and that's what, that's how, how you get to that kind of feeling of what's the point. Yeah. And how, how are you finding yourself navigating that? Um, good question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's one of those, um, instead of trying to, instead of arguing against that, because you, I don't feel that, well, I certainly could not make a convincing argument for against that. Um, what I think is about is kind of choosing to come back to the ground. Okay. Essentially. It's yeah. very much a case of, right, well, what is here, what is happening here right now? And how can I take less of a bird's eye view and more of a, a ground view about who is this person in front of me? How are we having a conversation? Really small things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which reminds me of so many of the tools which, you know, ask us to literally name what we can see, what we can smell, what we can hear, what we can taste and bring us back to, I mean, I, I know that's more of a tool for anxiety, but, mm. um, you know, bringing ourselves back to the present to, as you say, what's in front of you, who's in front of you. Um, and I also really would love to talk more about what you said about not fighting or I, I talk a lot about, um, the notion that we should try to fix or resist or reject or really dislike these parts of ourselves. This, mm. um, it comes up with illness so much, you know, this thing is here to hurt and harm me. I need to get rid of it as soon as I can. When, and I think, you know, that's got a lot to do with the pain and discomfort that is experienced. Um, but it's almost as if we are so afraid of that pain and discomfort that we never give these things a chance to, there's the three T's that I talk about, which is treat, tell, and teach. And, and we never seem to get as far as teach. Sometimes we don't even get as far as tell. You know, we try to treat, treat, treat. And sometimes, okay, we do listen to what's this trying to tell me, um, which could be, I need to go to bed earlier or you know it could be something it's quite um like immediate it's quite day-to-day -day, whereas the teach element is is this kind of bigger picture more behavioral um lifestyle um you know deeper kind of longer stuff yeah totally like um as you're saying that so that one of the reasons that I love reading about depression when mm -hmm. I have a depressive episode is that for me it really really helps to understand why it's happening because humans want to make sense of why things yes. are happening right um and for me it it's a huge comfort really to to know that how I'm responding to my environment there's nothing like there's nothing unnatural about what's going <gasps> on here <laughs> yes that's amazing that oh that is um that's blowing my mind a bit actually because we think that this is so unnatural we you know we have been conditioned to believe that it's 
an unnatural part of life but actually you're totally right you know depression illness is a completely understandable and natural response to what is going on in in our world yeah particularly in an environment where we if you consider how we have evolved over time and Mm -hmm. and that we are now in an environment that's not always suitable to those adaptive responses and that's what I mean by all adaptive responses have costs and benefits and when we um a very a a classic example is that deer um they will freeze when they Mm -hmm. detect a predator or like detect movement Mm -hmm. which is a very which is a very useful adaptive response except when you put them in say a modern environment near like a a cul-de-sac and you have cars right coming or like or headlights is that you know or something like that and they're like oh that's you've you've placed something that's very you know it's a very it's still a very natural response but it the cost is yes it's high the the cost the cost benefit is basically tipped essentially like that balance is tipped another kind of you know a very like human example I suppose is the way that we have evolved um to survive periods of starvation but now in the modern western culture we find ourselves with a ready supply of very high sugar you know like high Mm -hmm. you know grain diets it's like well it makes total sense that our bodies are going to respond and behave in certain ways because because of our environment um yeah and and yeah and and I see basically depression anxiety illness like it's all kind of response you know a response to that so that's one of the one of the ways I think you were because you were talking about kind of accepting and not judging and that always really helps (laughs) me in terms of removing that judgment yeah for sure for sure and so and what you were just saying about um you know our kind of for for an example that our modern diets um something that I think is really heavily ignored it is being noticed more but is the stress element of things Mm. and and obviously I'm you know what is very much noticed is is the general stress um but what I have found is that so much stress is created by trying to in that kind of an effort to heal in trying to micromanage these things such as our diet or our movement, you know, the kind of the traditional pillars, the standard pillars of health, you know, um, and we ignore kind of the stress we put on ourselves to try mm-hmm. and, and live in a quote unquote healthy way. And so often the stress that builds can negate all of the effort. You know, when you look at those people sometimes and you think, you know, on paper, you live a really unhealthy life, and yet you are health. You know, you you don't have any health complaints. You um, you seem to live your life really carefree. And I've always thought of these people as like complete unicorns. Like I just don't understand it. But I think what I'm coming to kind of conclusion in my head is that they just don't stress about stuff, or you know, they don't so much focus on on things that you know perhaps a person who really endeavors to be healthy does and that's kind of how they get away with it that's my that is my completely (laughs) unevidenced 
you know, but it's just a conclusion I've come to in my head. <laughs> mm. What you say about the management and control is, is really interesting. Um, and also healing in particular, because this is my personal um, opinion, but when it comes to depression, it's like, well, if this is an adaptive response, I don't really feel the need to heal it. If, mm-hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. Um, there's a, a, um, a quote by, is it, oh, uh, Pema, Pema Kodron, like the Buddhist nun. And mm-hmm. she basically says, it, there's a quote she says about, it's like trying to see when water turns into steam. Mm. There is no precise moment. No. I, when I think about my depression, it's not like a kind of one day you're depressed and one day you're not, or or, or one day you're healed and one day you're not. It, that's uh-huh. not how it, life is in my experience. That um, sentence you just said about, you, you know, trying to look for when water turns into steam. I, it's almost a bit of an anticlimax when you think that there is going to be this moment when you become quote unquote healed. And it's why I don't like using the word healed in context of like chronic illness or chronic health conditions, because it you can feel a lot like a failure or like you failed when, because by nature you dip in and out as, as you experience with your depression, you dip in and out. And when you think, right, all my efforts have paid off and I've healed and I've seen that moment of water turning into steam. Um, And then life happens and, you know, you notice your illness kind of creeping back in again. It's like, oh, what have I done now? What do I need to fix now? Mm. What what did I miss? I'm back at square one. But I, it's kind of active and inactive or remission and active illness or something that I much prefer kind of, referring to it in that way and and you asked me what does healing or heal you know healing mean to me and I think my definition of that has changed so much Mm. over the past couple of years because healing used to mean becoming free of my symptoms and I thought when I was free of my symptoms my life would just be great hunky-dory you know get on and just carry on with my life and and I wouldn't have any of these kind of worries but actually through living with a chronic illness for so long the effect that it's had on so many other parts of me um not physical particularly not or not all physical should I say um so much to do with my emotions and my energy and my mental health that stuff kind of needs attention and sitting with and learning from and adaption um and so healing has kind of started to mean to me in fact almost nothing about the symptoms Mm -hmm. it's it started to mean to me my ability to sit with symptoms my ability to for them not to be the most important thing in my life which is extremely difficult when they're really Mm -hmm. loud um you know, to build on my self-worth and my self-esteem and my confidence and my relationships and, you know, do the things that matter to me in my life. And and this almost links back to 
that kind of awareness of of your time you know being finite you know of of not going on forever is that you know you think why what what am I doing just you know being kind of I don't know why I want to use the word lemming I think there was a game or something called lemmings when when I was growing up but um yeah but you know being a lemming just kind of walking along and you know in the crowd and living a life I don't like that's causing me to feel you know to be ill or is is a cause um one of you know whatever but yeah I think I think I've covered you know kind of what it means to me it's and also it's not a fixed definition I think it evolves yeah because when you were talking at the beginning and you know how you used to see and feel this idea of healing it was so funny because in my head I kept substituting the word healed for perfect mm. I, was like, <laughs> I was like this is you know it will be perfect then it will be perfect yes. and I will, I will be perfect and life will be perfect yes that's that that is it though it is it and and we think that healed equals perfect mm. yeah. and and that our lives will fall back into our laps again yeah. and and this again kind of looks at this treat and tell and not the teach it's going beyond that 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 fixed mindset yeah because when we say it's interesting because when we say in that context of when I am healed that definitely well to me that implies an absence that is currently there um right and that's um that's a heavy thing to carry with you um, that absence oh that's yeah <laughs> you're blowing my mind a lot today <laughs> that's really that's I feel that really strongly in my heart that is so heavy mm. and it's something that I think so many carry of us carry with us you know wow I mean how uh, you've talked a bit about it you know just now but what does this idea of healing or healed mean to you? Yeah, so I'm not saying that it's easy at all, um, but I guess what I'm trying to live with the idea is that it's not. I'm just going to speak from my experience, which mm-hmm. is a, which is a depressive episodes, but or feeling you know a, a low mood, basically feeling a low mood or experiencing whatever I experience it's not an absence of of anything um Mm -hmm. it's not a deficiency it's not something that I am lacking it is how I am in this particular period of my life given a combination of my circumstances and how I um how my brain is you know wired slightly and also just my upbringing it's a combination of all of those things mm-hmm. and that's just how it is in mm-hmm. a way not to mean that it's a I'm passive about it it's it's more that I recognize okay well how do I want to respond to that yeah and that feeling that intention of how do I want to respond to that I'm not coming i I don't feel that that's necessarily from a place of lack. That's that's just my kind of um, 
somewhere that I have spent a long time trying, you know, getting to and kind of accepting and unfolding. And for me, healing is not, in, again, in this particular context only, is healing is not a word I necessarily use, but it's, for me, it's, it's a deepening understanding. Um, it's a deepening understanding of yourself, how you um, want to be in life, um and when i say be i mean specifically as opposed to doing so as opposed to managing mm -hmm. it um and so how i want to be and ultimately it's about living yeah uh, and and this is all part of life and it's mm, because you're you're not something, you know, words that I do use are kind of the difference between existing and living. But it's weird because, you know, when you are in those periods where you do feel a bit like you're existing, or I mean, that's certainly the way I have felt in the past when, you know, I've been at my worst. And um, whereas now I feel like I'm living, but it's, it's, more that vitality because I wasn't I wasn't living any less when I felt like I was existing you know I was still um alive as much um but that kind of that vitality wasn't there and that and the color it's almost as if you know sometimes um I've talked to my sister about feeling you know 30 percent human or just this idea that you feel like a shell, I think, sometimes. Well, I have felt like a shell sometimes. Um, and as I have, and I say got better, I, I do mean with my chronic illness, as my chronic illness has become less active, but I also mean as I have grown and explored and developed the other areas that are kind of, the fallout of living with a chronic illness it's like that shell has been filled up almost like those bottles of sand you know that you used to get at the beach where mm. you could like add the layers in um and the words the words I think we use can you know they do mean so much um and, and when we're trying to connect with others in our community or others in our kind of situations um sometimes it can be difficult to choose the right words or to choose the words that, um, you know, that will relate, but that won't perhaps paint a picture that you don't want to paint. Hmm. But yeah, that's a really interesting um, topic of conversation. How do we how do we make sure that people don't misunderstand us? Like, I, I kind of feel that's an impossible task. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I, I totally agree. And and to not be so hard on ourselves, I think when people, you know, when inevitably people do misunderstand um, mm. or perhaps when we haven't been able to communicate exactly what it is that we want to say. Um, <laughs> that is a big topic. <laughs> Yeah, ma managing managing expectations—that is definitely a big a big topic. 
but going back to that I suppose idea of culture as well it's like what culture what cultural worldview is this person coming from what lenses are they using to see their world and I have a fair bet that they're not going to be the exact same as mine and we're not yeah. going to use quite the same language or words you know that we have in common are going to mean different thing you know mean something slightly different for each of us yeah totally I think and that and that can come into um kind of question maybe I don't know but when you are having conversations perhaps with people trying to explain you know the way you feel and maybe you know what you're going through and and I'd say your experience the way you kind of experience and work through and live with depression is you know it's definitely not mainstream and and do you have um kind of struggles in communicating that or do you actually just not communicate it with say your family your friends oh that's a good question um I definitely still feel like what I call residual shame around depression um Mm -hmm. because I still grew up in a culture, so I still, um, I think it's Glennon Doyle, uh, she she talks about this idea that you can be a feminist and still be raised in a misogynistic culture. Right. You, you can, you know, you can believe in equality and still be, uh, still be raised in a culture that is definitely not <laughs> yeah. about equity. So it's almost like it's the air and the or, or the water that we don't notice and you are going to take on those that by and which is why I, I which is why I was kind of interested in your image of ducking the cultural the kind of narratives because mm-hmm. I guess I would argue that we can be obviously very mindful and we don't need to let those narratives necessarily we don't need to hold on to those narratives or identify necessarily with them but I think it's very hard to extricate ourselves completely from what we've been immersed in since day dot essentially yeah absolutely and and that has perhaps pulled on something that is um a part of me that I need to I'd say I need to be mindful of is that when I perhaps don't agree with the cultural narrative or the status quo, I can very easily reject it and just say, nope, that's not me. I'll walk on my own path. And I don't need to identify with that. I don't need to, you know, be a part of that. I'm just me. Perhaps I don't even know what path I'm on, but I'm definitely not on that one. And I can duck and dive. And where that has been a bit harmful for me um, with my chronic illness is the status quo view of chronic illness and the and the kind of single story and the common narrative about chronic illness and that's actually why this podcast is called reframing chronic illness because i i was rejecting that narrative so much that i rejected that i even had a chronic illness and so i was i just don't even know you know where what I, I, it was just a very weird floaty I would say period of my life where and it was very ungrounded and um I think I really struggled to accept and it really affected my acceptance and and kind of 
you know, what I work with a lot now is kind of embracing this part of me and, and allowing it to teach me things and allowing myself to learn from it. But before, when I rejected that narrative, I, I couldn't see any of that. And mm. so now I kind of say, okay, I see that that's your view, but this is my view and we're allowed to exist together. Yeah. Yeah. Which it sounds to me a lot like perhaps what you're, what you do with the depression and. Yeah, it's, it's very much so. For example, I say that there's residual shame there and yes. I'm very aware of where that comes from, but I'm also not ashamed of that residual shame, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and not, I'm not heaping or piling more shame upon my shame. <laughs> no. Oh, and how often do we do that? All I mean, <laughs> for me, I do that all the time with, or, you know, less now because I am more um, aware of myself doing that. But, you know, the way that I have spoken to myself in my head in the past, it's, it is piling the shame up on shame up on shame. And then I'd shame myself for speaking to myself, <laughs> do you know, in a, in a not nice way. Um, compassion, you know, I think comes into that a lot and, and allowing allowing yourself to show yourself compassion. Yeah, as again, it's one of those shame upon shame is one of those um, like adaptive responses. Our minds are great at making meaning and being able to see ourselves as separate. And it's like, that's amazing. Like all the things that we have done because of that. But it also means that we can pile shame upon our shame, upon our shame. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cost, cost benefits. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I just want to kind of link back to um, something you said earlier which you've just reminded me of was um I'm de definitely kind of paraphrasing here but um the ability to kind of see that everything in your life has kind of led you to where you are now and not and and, and you know not shaming yourself if, if you are in a depressive episode if you are in kind of active illness not berating or shaming yourself for the things you've done in the past for the things that have happened in your life in the past and now causing you to feel you know all this pain and I think a lot of that can, can be perhaps spoken about in root cause work you know searching for the root cause often we can say oh if I hadn't have done that or if I hadn't have been in that mm. place or if I hadn't allowed that person to you know treat me in that way I wouldn't be where I am now but and going back again to what you were saying you know it's not that you would choose to feel the way you do or you know it was not that you would choose to be depressed or ill but it is and and actually that's okay and so too will this part in your life lead on to other parts in your life and going back to that like bigger picture mm. idea you know putting meaning to something um that's something that I do anyway I think yeah it's interesting um that idea of depression because I've I've written about this the idea of depression being as that kind of specter that's almost is there with us it's like kind of haunts us um mm -hmm. even when it's maybe not in an active or as active as it, as it might be and I was and 
I'm a coach and it shows up actually in coaching a lot of the time because I mm -hmm. would personally I would argue and this is my personal experience that depression often just amplifies my thoughts that I have when it like that look very much like self-doubt um mm -hmm. to me they're very linked it's just depression is a, a bit you know more amplified in that or just more intense um in in um that context but what I found myself not that long ago maybe six months 12 months um was that I have there were particular fears that I were was avoiding Mm -hmm. um fears of failure fears of rejection fears of abandonment and I just want to point out those are very reasonable fears because we all they I like to do them called I call the fear exercise which is basically you can almost like link all your fears together and most of the time I realize that oh it's because I'm afraid of like not existing I'm afraid uh -huh. of death I'm afraid of annihilation these are very reasonable things to be afraid of yeah but in my head it was like well if I can just manage this fear and not go there and if I can almost skim the surface <laughs> or skim the waves and not get pulled down and under then I'm okay yeah. and what I realized was that I was letting this big black hole underneath just underneath these waves dict like basically dictate my life that was a, yes. it was almost like the gravity that was pulling even though I didn't want to look at it yeah and it was only when I realized that I would need to almost sink beneath and integrate mm -hmm. that part in my and in in my head when that happens that big black hole it actually turns to a, a, a white light um it's almost like it just changes as soon as you touch it as soon as you kind of go it's not ruling my life anymore it's yeah it, it's part of you and it's that integration wholeness whatever you want to call it that peace um yeah. that kind of comes from within yes yes and that resonated so much with again that idea of if I can you know just shut it away then I can ride above the waves and um you know going back to when I was talking about my um if I don't admit my chronic illness, it becomes less real. I can just, you know, carry on. But it's almost as if, yeah, it's funny that we both kind of see it in water form because I kind of see it in, it's these doors that you're, you know, like on the, Titan, on the Titanic when, as in the film, um, when, you know, the water's building and building and building yeah. behind the doors and then they burst. But it's like, we're trying to hold those doors shut. Mm. And actually, when we let them open and we let that water completely you know wash over us and it's it's just not you know it's it doesn't it might kind of unsteady unsteady us for a bit but it's it might not knock us down completely and let's get away from the titanic reference now because obviously that didn't end so well um but you know eventually the water will kind of not be this huge rush it will you know you 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 can integrate yourself there and and people always think I don't know maybe they don't but um I think it, it's an unusual school of thought to embrace and welcome and integrate depression you know chronic illness in into your life because I think people think 
that that means they will allow it to control them. But actually not doing that means that it will control you. Yeah, um, there's an analogy that I think Bruce Tift uses. It's kind of like when we deny these particular parts about ourselves, what all we're doing is kind of holding it behind our back. So mm. we're not we're not looking at it, but it's still heavy. We're still holding on to it. It's still yeah. almost that gravitational pull that we're not. And we're, and it's exhausting. <laughs> exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. And and that means we can't turn around. That means we can't move in certain ways, you mm. know, in that analogy. We become actually, very we, rigid. Yes. Yeah. But if we mm. looked at it and said, hello, we can move again. We can let go. We can mm. say, oh, yeah so much and I think I would love for the future of you know things like depression and chronic illness to be seen as and I think this is you know a lot of the work of coaches you know and and why we do the work we do it's to kind of um evolve past this thought past this um idea especially I think in a lot of a lot of the coaching that's done kind of at the moment it's evolving past this idea of trying to be like everybody else to try and fix yourself to try and quieten certain parts of yourself it's about using them and and bringing them in and and them being almost your strength I think mm. yeah because coaching is um, is an interesting one like we again it, it makes complete sense that we as humans want to uh, fix problems we want mm -hmm. to solve problems that's what we're good at <laughs> um, it doesn't work so much when the problem that you want to fix is yourself because yes. that's not how it works <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's um, a beautiful sentence to end on actually Catherine I think yeah it's not how it works and let's stop trying to fix parts of ourselves mm. Yeah. I think but um I, I can't believe that the time has gone this quickly because I've enjoyed talking to you so much um and it's been so interesting thank you so much um and where can people um find you where's the best place okay there's two places that you can find me uh, I've got a website obviously um that's katherineho.com mm -hmm. and I'm also on Instagram uh that's that's k-a-t-h-r-y-n underscore ho underscore lovely thank you um yeah, and i will link link uh to your website and your instagram in the show notes so people can just click there um to find you but thank yeah thank you so much for coming on Brilliant. and i've had a wonderful conversation it's been so so interesting oh likewise really interesting thank you Catherine gave me many moments of deep heart feel in that conversation and listening to her was affirming, inspiring, and so interesting. You can find all of Catherine's links in the show notes, as well as links to the book she mentioned. And if you want to join the conversation of reframing your chronic illness on a more regular basis, and when this podcast is on season breaks, I'd love to welcome you to my newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes or by heading to alanaholloway.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. Bringing on board the right kind of support can be the missing piece of the puzzle that so many of us don't realise we actually need. What would you do if you had the most epic support squad by your side? What would that unleash in you and what would it make possible for you in your life? If you're wondering how to start figuring that out, if you've got no idea where to start, I've got the perfect thing for you. My quiz, are you more Michelle, Gaga or Mindy? And what would their support squad unleash in you is now live. You can find the link to it in the show notes and in the bio. Don't wait another moment. Hop on over to the quiz to find out who you're channeling now.